If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to the Gospel of John in chapter 4 tonight. Gospel of John in chapter 4, over the last couple of weeks we've seen in this account leading up to our passage today that Jesus loves people. And Jesus calls his people to love people. So we got to learn that. Jesus knows just what each person needs. We don't necessarily know what every person needs, but we know the Lord does. And when he tells us to go unto all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we understand that we need to take the good news to the people around us, to the world that we live in. And we've also seen that Jesus knows everything about everyone, and we can we can hardly figure out ourselves, can't we? But Jesus knows everything about everyone. We've been seeing that. That's a clear pointer to the deity of Jesus. Jesus is God in human flesh. And we're repeatedly seeing that truth just as we see it here in verses 27 through 30, which we began looking at this morning. And I want to kind of pick up here on a thread that we that we started following this morning and Go a little deeper. As we arrive at verse 27, Jesus is speaking with this woman at the well. And this woman who's had five husbands and is now living with a man who's not her husband. And Jesus has just told her that he's the Messiah. I who, she said, we know that the Messiah is coming. He said, I who speak to you am he. He's the Christ. And just as he does that, Let's look at what happens next. Follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read from the English Standard Version, beginning in verse 27, John 4. Then, just then, his disciples came back. And they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town, And said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And look at what the people did in response. They went out of the town and were coming to him. Isn't that incredible? This woman hurries off to town. And she goes and talks to the people that she was avoiding. We noted it this morning. Here's a reminder for us of the deity of Christ. The Samaritan woman's guilt and shame are gone. And we can see it in the fact that in verse 29, we see her quickly heading back into town to find the very people she was avoiding by going to the well outside of town in the middle of the day, which was not the usual time to get your water or the usual place necessarily. And she says, verse 29, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Well, this woman, before Jesus gently pointed to her sinful lifestyle, she'd been trying to avoid those people. Before Jesus, think of it, God in human flesh, the Word made flesh, spoke and pierced her soul with a truth that made clear the sad and empty state of her life, she'd gone out of her way to avoid the guilt and the shame of her life. She'd gone out of her way to avoid anyone or anything that would remind her of her sad state of life. But when Jesus 
asked her to go and bring back her husband, which, of course, he knew she didn't have, he's revealing that he knew about her sinful lifestyle, and now she's finally going to have to face it. She's going to have to face her sinful lifestyle. And it seems that now that she has to face the guilt and shame of her sin, she's been led to repentance. I think we see this in the fact that that her guilt and shame are gone. I noted it this morning. And though the text isn't explicit here that she actually believed, I think we can see that she's repentant here because of the fact that that guilt and shame is gone. She's not worried about what anyone thinks of her now because she's met the Christ. She's met the Messiah, and she's going to go and tell, tell people in her town. And I said it this morning that some preach today that there's no need for guilt. Don't, don't, try, to guilt, don't try to get people to feel guilty about their sin. Just tell them that Jesus loves them. And that's true. It is true. But there's a place for, an important place for, people recognizing their, their guilt over their sin, that they're sinful people in need of saving, in need of forgiving. Well, the Bible teaches that belief is necessary for salvation, of course, but it's also clear that with that belief, with faith, comes repentance. I quoted Charles Spurgeon this morning, who who makes this as clear as it can be when he spoke of this same problem back in the year 1882. And I'm not going to quote the whole uh, thing that I shared this morning, but just let me share a portion of what I shared from him this morning. He said, If any teacher leads you to hope that without repentance or any sense of sin you may be saved, he is not of Christ. If you have not known yourself a sinner... You cannot know Christ as Savior. Trust in Christ brings a hatred of sin and a mourning because of it. A man cannot hate what he does not know, but this woman was made to see her sin, and that sight proved that the Messiah was dealing with her. So now, here's the Samaritan woman. She's She's felt the, the guilt and the shame of her sin when, when Jesus reveals that he knows about her life. He knows about her sinful living. And now the Samaritan, the Samaritan woman's guilt and shame over her sin are gone because she rushes back to town to tell these people she's been avoiding about the Savior. And it's only because of God's healing work in her life. I think what we see happening in her life is an act of of God regenerating her. She's born again. J.C. Ryle says about the need for repentance that no one values the physician until he feels the disease. Who wants to go see the doctor this week? Nobody wants to go see the doctor, right? We don't want to. When we need to, we want to. But nobody wants to have a reason to go see the doctor. And J.C. Ryle is right talking about the shame and guilt of sin, no one values the physician until he feels the disease. And then he also says we should mark the absolute necessity of conviction of sin before a soul can be converted to God. You see, God brings conviction of sin. It's what Jesus did with this woman at the well. God brings conviction of sin and faith 
with this conviction of sin leads to repentance. Repentance then leads to transformation. Because repentance is a turning from sin and a turning to obedience to God. And so we see this progression. Repentance leads to transformation, and then this transformation actually brings, uh, begins at, at faith. The trans- transformation begins at faith and at belief in Jesus, and with that belief in Jesus, there's repentance. When a person's eyes are open to see who Jesus is and to believe in him, and then they see the, the shame of their guilt, the sinfulness of their life, and they realize what they've been forgiven when they put their trust in Jesus, and there's repentance. That's the witness of Scripture, in fact. Listen to what Paul said in his own defense before King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. Just listen to Acts 26, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. I've noted it in our studies earlier. I don't think I mentioned it this morning, but I know I mentioned it last week, that salvation isn't only for the Jews. It's for all mankind. And you can hear it in Paul's statement. And then he clarifies this, that here's, here's what God calls us to do that they should, all mankind, should repent and turn to God. Repent. It means confess that you're a sinner, admit it, and, and acknowledge that you need to turn from that sin and turn to God. Repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. Not to earn repentance, but Once you've trusted in Christ, your sins are forgiven. Repent of those sins and turn to Christ for his help in keeping with your repentance. So I want to think for a few moments tonight, what is biblical repentance? If repentance is important, and we don't want to mislead someone that we want to share the gospel with, we want them to understand that there, there needs to be some recognition of their sinfulness. There needs to be repentance. What is biblical repentance? I want to share with you a quote from a theologian, J.I. Packer. I think he passed away just a couple of years ago, and I have several books in, in my library. He wrote the well-known book, maybe you read it, Knowing God. Anybody, anybody have read J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God? It's uh, w- well worth a read. It's um, a well-respected book. He gives us a helpful definition of what repentance is, and I want to um, share that. He lays out a clear biblical presentation of the call to repent, and I'm going to work from his definition tonight. So listen to this. He writes, The New Testament word for repentance means changing one's mind so that one's views, values, goals, and ways are changed, and one's whole life is lived differently. The change is radical both inwardly and outwardly, mind and judgment, will and affections, behavior and lifestyle, motives and purposes are all involved. Repenting means starting to live a new life. 
And you know you can't start to live that new life until you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But once you do, and this is why I think we see evidence that the Samaritan woman is a believer when she leaves and runs back to tell her neighbors about Jesus, that she's trusted in him because her guilt and shame are gone. That's repentance, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing in the finished work that uh, the Lord Jesus offers on the cross. And yes, as Packer says, the change that repentance brings is certainly a radical one, both in inward and outward. So think of this. Central to the gospel is repentance. And central to the gospel in repentance is that the call to repent was the first and most basic, one of the first and most basic calls that we hear John the Baptist declaring. Listen to Matthew 3, 2, where we hear John the Baptist. He said this, and you know this passage probably, repent for what? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, repent, repent. It wasn't only John, though. That was also Jesus. Jesus also calls for repentance Jesus called people to believe in him and repent. Listen to Matthew 4 and verse 17, where it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Sounds like John, doesn't it? John sounds like Jesus. Also, the twelve apostles uh, followed Jesus' example. Here's what Mark 6 and verse 12 says. So they went out and proclaimed that people should, guess what? Repent. Peter at Pentecost also called for repentance. Listen to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, where Peter says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But he started with repent. Repent. What follows repentance? We see him mention baptism. Baptism, we understand, does not save you. It's what you, it's what you do out of obedience to, to signify to those who see you baptized that you are a believer, that you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, and that repentance has taken place. And so that's what Peter called people to do, repent and be baptized. Paul, Paul also preached repentance. Listen to Acts 17 in verse 30, where we hear this, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. He commands. And then I think Revelation, uh, there's an interesting series of passages in Revelation uh, several passages there. The glorified Christ preaches repentance to the f- uh, five of the seven churches in Asia. Listen, uh, some in chapter 2 and some in chapter 3 of Revelation. Revelation 2 and verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. In other words, obey, obey God. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And then later in verse 16, Therefore repent, if not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. And then a few verses later in verse 22, 
Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And then uh, Revelation 3, the next chapter, uh, verse 3. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it. In other words, obey and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. And then later in verse 19 of Revelation 3. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Repent. It's interesting also that repentance was how Jesus summarized the gospel that was to be taken to the world. Think about the gospel that we receive our marching orders from our Savior to take the gospel to the world, and repentance was how Jesus summarized the gospel in that, uh, in that direction to his people. Listen to Luke 24 and verse 47. That repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem and, of course, going out to all the world. Repentance and forgiveness of sins. You know, this also it wasn't just the New Testament either. New Testament teachers and and the writers of the New Testament, the Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament prophets to Israel were also constantly calling people to turn from sin, to turn to God, turn to obedience to God, turn to God from whom they had strayed. And that's repentance. Listen to the words of Jeremiah, uh, chapter 23 and verse 22. Jeremiah twenty-three, twenty-two. But if they had stood in my counsel... Then they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. That's repentance. Did you hear it? Then they would have turned them from their evil way. That's turning from sin and from the evil of their deeds. And if you're turning from sin, you're turning to obedience to God. And listen to Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah 25, verses 4 and 5. Again, the Old Testament writers called, called God's people to repentance. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all his servants, the prophets, saying, here's what the prophet said, Turn now, every one of you, from his evil way, and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you, your fathers, and from all of old and forever. You hear that in verse 5? Turn now. Turn. Turn from sin. Turn to obedience. Turn now, every one of you, from his evil way and evil deeds. And then these words in Zechariah chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Therefore, Say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out. And here again, this reminder that the prophets called for repentance. The prophets cried out, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear. 
or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, and here's the response of the people when they were called to repentance. So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts proposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has he dealt with us. They repented. God again and again calls through his prophets, calls through his teachers in the, in the New Testament, those who had authored the New Testament and the Old Testament for us for repentance. And so what we find in the scriptures is that repentance is the way to remission of sins. And repentance leads to salvation and restoration of God's favor. God will, will give you forgiveness. He will give you the gift of forgiveness of sins when there's true repentance. But the opposite is also true. When, uh, when there are those who refuse to repent, and we could hear it there in those Old Testament passages, when there are those who refuse to repent and turn from their sinful ways, there's only the way that leads to destruction. Listen to Luke chapter 13 and verses 1 through 5. Luke 13. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You see, God calls all mankind to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, repentance of sin, turning from sin, and to obedience to God. I bring you back to J.I. Packer and what he's written about this. He says, repentance is a fruit of faith which is itself a fruit of regeneration. You see, when God gives you new life, when you're born again, uh, repentance should be present. Repentance of sin. He goes on to say, but in actual life, repentance is inseparable from, from faith. Being the negative aspect, faith is the positive aspect, of turning to Christ as Lord and Savior. The idea that there can be saving faith without repentance and that one can be justified by embracing Christ as Savior while refusing him as Lord is a destructive delusion. True faith acknowledges Christ as what he truly is, our God-appointed king, as well as our God-given priest. And true trust in him as Savior will express itself in submission to him as Lord also. To refuse this is to seek justification through an impenitent faith, which is no faith. 
you hear J.I. Packer, what he's saying is those who would say, I don't need to repent of sin. I'm not, I, I, don't, need, I don't need to confess anything. I'm not a sinner. <laughs> That's not faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You haven't understood your own depravity and sinfulness and your need for the Savior and what the Savior has accomplished for you on the cross. And then Packer notes, In repentance, says the Westminster Confession, a sinner out of the sight and sense not only of the danger but also of the filthiness and of, and uh, odiousness of his sins as contrary to the holy nature and the righteous law of God and upon the apprehension of his mercy in Christ to such as our penitent so grieves for and hates his sin as to turn from them all unto God, purposing and endeavoring to walk with him in all ways of his commandments. It's a mouthful, isn't it? But what we're understanding here is that, that true faith will evidence itself in a, in a grief for one's sin and a willingness to repent of that sin and then turn from that sin and begin to walk, even if it's difficult. There is great difficulty for some new believers who have got a lot of challenges in their life to turn from their sinful lifestyle and turn to obedience, but there's going to be that desire to turn from that in a, in a, a, a process of, of walking in obedience to the Lord. And that statement, I think, as Packer shared it, is making the point that, that repentance, that's the result of fear of punishment, is incomplete. I mean, you might say, well, if you don't repent, um, God, uh, God has reserved a place for you in hell. And that might scare someone to say, oh, okay, well, I repent. But if it's not true heartfelt repentance, then that's not belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not faith in the Savior. Repentance that doesn't lead to a desire to turn from sin and turn to obedience is not true repentance. So there's a clear picture, I think, of true repentance seen in the life of David. Uh, listen to a few verses from Psalm 51. I could read the whole psalm, and it's, uh, it's one I recommend you go home and, and mark it down and read tonight, uh, Psalm 51. But there's a true picture of what repentance looks like. Just listen to the first four verses, and you'll hear true repentance uh, from David in Psalm 51. Here's what David said. Have Mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. And you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. And he goes on in, in Psalm 51. That's repentance. That's true repentance. So we learn that true repentance shows itself in not only admitting your sins, but also in a strong desire to be done with those sins. It doesn't mean that you'll necessarily leave all those temptations behind. You may struggle with temptation and sin. 
But there's going to be a strong desire if there's true repentance, a desire to be done with those sins and commit them, a desire to commit, commit them no more. Uh, repentance means turning the other way from sin and to obedience. That's what Luke chapter 3 and verse 8 points to when it says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. If there's repentance, there's going to be that desire and there's going to be that, that taking steps to obey the Lord Jesus Christ and obey, obey his word. In Acts chapter 26 and verse 20, we hear it when Paul declared before King Agrippa that, that being obedient to God, he declared first to those in Damascus, I noted it earlier, listen to it again, then in Jerusalem, then throughout all the region of Judea and also the Gentiles, that they should, remember it, repent and turn to God performing those deeds in keeping with their repentance. That's repentance. Turning from sin, turning to obedience to God, stopping the sin and starting to behave in ways that walk in the light, walk in the truth of God's word, that's repentance. So is uh, repentance necessary? If somebody were to ask you, is repentance necessary? You may not be able to turn to all those passages that I did tonight, but you can say with confidence that God's word does call us to repent. Uh, Listen to another uh, Bible scholar and theologian uh, named Wayne Grudem who wrote a very helpful systematic theology. He writes this, Preaching the need for faith without repentance is preaching only half of the gospel. It will result in many people being deceived thinking that they have heard the Christian gospel and tried it, but nothing has happened. They might even say something like, I accepted Christ as Savior over and over again, and it never worked. Yet they never really did receive Christ as their Savior, for he comes to us in his majesty and invites us to receive him as he is, the one who deserves to be and demands to be absolute Lord of our lives as well. You see, if you see Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will willingly submit to him. You will willingly repent of your sinful ways and then begin to take steps of obedience. Is repentance necessary for salvation? God's word says that it is. And you heard it again and again tonight from the gospel writers, the Old Testament writers, throughout God's word people being called to repent and turn from their sinful ways. And this is what we should be praying for as a church, I think, as we think about people who need the Lord. We ought to be praying that God would lift the blinders from their eyes, that they would understand who the Savior is and their own sinful state and their need for forgiveness and that only Jesus gives that forgiveness, that they might turn to him in faith and that they might realize their need for repentance that they were, their eyes would be open. We ought to pray that way. Uh, I can think of uh, several people I pray for often, pray that God would open their eyes to see who Jesus is and believe in him, that they'd be sorrowful over their sin and their rebelliousness against God. And for all of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ, we ought to be thankful for God's patience with us and, and probably many people who've gone before us who prayed for us, that our eyes would be opened to see who Jesus is, to believe in him, to come to a point of repentance. What a precious gift from God that is. 
And what a precious message we have to share with the world. And may God help us share that message. May these words and may God's word tonight be an encouragement to us and a challenge to us this week.